0: Welcome back, everyone, to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richards, LICSW and Certified Sex Therapist. And I'm here today with my producer, Vicki, and we are really excited to be talking about the difference between sex therapy and couples therapy. You know, are they different or the same? So um, I did actually want to speak about my mission here to make sure folks know that, that the mission is to help people embrace sex-positive thinking and attitudes into daily life for optimal health, which includes sexual health. We go for annual mammograms, pelvic exams, and prostate state exams for our sexual health, we owe it to ourselves to check up on the emotional and mental health aspects of sexual health, for sexual health and well-being to increase pleasure, play, and passion in our lives. So Vicki, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you. I don't know exactly when this podcast is airing, but it's our first one. <laughs> it's our first one we're recording after the New Year. So have you had a nice rest from uh, from the holidays, etc.?
1: I have. It's It's been a nice reset to kick the New Year off on the right foot.
0: Good. Which one?
1: What was oh, <laughs> the right foot? La, 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 la,
0: la. Silly, silly.
1: But I'm bummed. <laughs> Are you watching any good uh, shows or reading any good books or growing any good plants or? Actually, I just started watching um, Love on the Spectrum. Have you heard of this? No. The Netflix show. Um, It's actually an Australian based show. And it just follows the lives of um, a group of people that are on the autism spectrum and they're you know, how they're working through love and finding love. And some of them are in relationships. Some of them are, you know, trying to start dating and things like that. So it's, it's actually really
0: nice. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm going to check that out. Thank you. You should. Yeah, I certainly will. Good, good, good. Um, and what else? are you growing things are you walking are you running I'm
1: just walking when the weather's nice I just started a new book I'm very excited about that and that's it what about you what have you and Kenny been up to
0: oh let's see we have been walking um that has been my saving grace walking 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 uh, reading and uh, watching some really good shows I stumbled on one you know I'm a little older now I just turned the big 60 so um, <laughs> He and I like to watch, uh, well, we've, we stumbled on this really cool show, again, a, a British show, uh, like there's some great Australian stuff. One, one Australian show we watched that we loved was called Offspring. Did you ever see that? I haven't seen that. No. Offspring is great. Long, many seasons. So it's really good for being inside and having entertainment. But our newest fave is called Mum, M-U-M. Mum. Mum. And uh, there's excellent acting, excellent writing. It's only three seasons, unfortunately, but that's been that's been really fun. Um, that's and, awesome. And, you know, we're Doc Martin freaks, so we're on our fourth round of watching 10 seasons of Doc Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend Doc Martin. Speaking of the spectrum, you know, Doc Martin's a bit on the spectrum himself, so.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting um story because uh he also has i don't think i'll give anything away because this comes up early in the show but um he's on the spectrum and he also has a blood phobia so he's a surgeon from london um with a blood phobia so you can imagine how much conflict that brings in the show
1: (laughs) no absolutely
0: yeah so that's been fun that's been fun um yeah so we're doing good hanging in there and uh waiting for spring and Our vaccines and (laughs) who knows when those will come, but you know, we're hopeful. We're hopeful. Um, You know, I'm very excited actually, you know, normally I I don't feel necessarily great about my birthdays, but this year I feel like I made it. I'm 60 and I made it. You look
1: wonderful.
0: Oh, thank you, Vicki, as do you, okay. as do you. And I, I know you're also uh, spending a little time planning a wedding, aren't you?
1: Yeah, We started really planning some things this weekend, and it was a little overwhelming, but we're getting there.
0: <laughs> oh, one foot in front of the other, huh? Want,
1: you know, one thing at a time.
0: Yeah. So. Try to enjoy it. You know, it goes so quickly.
1: Yeah. And it's just trying to, it's just a little overwhelming, but also trying to really see the good parts of it and then have fun with it so Mm. the end of the day it doesn't matter like we're just excited to celebrate with our friends and family whenever that may be yeah exactly (laughs) you have to be flexible now with the timing right
0: i hear you i hear you so um i'm excited for this podcast today yeah oh yeah thanks um you were mentioning that you know we you had the idea to kind of do this
1: because you were getting some inquiries, correct, on the topic? Yeah, so we'd, we'd been getting some questions um, about the difference, what the difference actually is between sex therapy and couples therapy, because I know we talk a lot about them both and how sometimes certain things overlap, but um, we were getting so many questions that I was like, why don't we just, we'll just dissect it a little bit. So, mm-hmm. okay,
0: yeah. well, you know, they're different. Um, and they do overlap and intersect. Um, and I actually wanted to start out with, with a quote or two I thought might be relevant to, to the topic. So um, uh, the first one I was thinking about mentioning is, oh, and in light of the fact that, you know, I'm getting a little bit older now. Um <laughs> Hopefully look more like a fine wine as it ages, it it develops um, in its complicatedness. So Betty Dotson said, uh, I consider the 70s to be the youth of old age. So all you women out there who are afraid of getting older, just keep your orgasms in place. Eat a lot of vegetables, take exercise and you'll be fine. (laughs) <laughs> so that's one one little uh place where I like to take a position about about sexuality uh for women in particular but of course you know it affects men if they're in you know if women are in relationships with men then it's good for both folks to be thinking about um how all of the issues having to do with relationship or sex affects them as a couple you know when i'm right. seeing my clients i'm thinking of of my client as the couple not just the individual so that's relevant another one you know dr ruth westheimer i don't know if you remember do you remember her yes okay i <laughs> just thinking you might be a little young but uh no, I, I remember her i certainly do remember her and she was very funny she said uh she said, when it comes to sex, the most important six inches are the ones between the ears. <laughs> of course, I hesitate to even say that quote because six, six inches is kind of a misnomer. That's a little bit on the <laughs> large size. That is, not the, that is not the average size of a male penis. That is larger than the average size. The average size is somewhere around four something. So um, so when, when we say six inches, it's a, it's a metaphor, I think. Um <laughs> And then let's see, the last one I wanted to, to mention is, um, actually, this is a really good quote by Tristan Termino, uh, who wrote The Ultimate Guide to Kink, BDSM, Roleplay, and The Erotic Edge. And I want folks to know I am a kink-friendly ther- sex therapist. Um, and Tristan Termino says, sex-positive feminism embraces the entire range of human sexuality and is based on the idea that sexual freedom is an essential component of women's freedom. And actually that was written, that quote is from Madison Young, but it's in the Taramino book, uh, The Ultimate Guide to Kink book. So I think that's a really important idea.
1: When you say you're kink friendly, you want to just describe that a little bit for everybody? Because I don't know if everybody knows what that means. Sure. So um, when we think about sex, some folks
0: think about, um, you know, vanilla versus uh, kink. Uh, Vanilla might include things like, you know, sexual positions being... Uh, missionary, um, just sort of the standard traditional ways that folks think about having sex. And and interestingly, kink is so large. I mean, kink is really anything probably um, beyond the missionary position or vanilla sex. Um, and so it's normal. You know, anything that's a little bit bordering on kink, um, you know, it might be having intercourse, but it's a little bit you know, rougher. Uh, it might just be, you know, having sex from behind or anal sex or, uh, using toys, uh, you know, um, or, you know, dressing up or, or again, using accessories, et cetera. Um, you know, kink is such a large range that it's, it's just so many things. So, so BDSM stands for bondage, dominance, sadomasochism. Um, and that can, again, things, things can be separate, but they also intersect and overlap. And again, you know, the thing that's most important to be thinking about when it comes to sexuality is, um, consent, right? So when you're, you're being sexual with your partner, you want to make sure that everything you're doing is something your partner consents to. Um, otherwise it's non-consensual and that's, that's not okay. Um, consent is always key. Consent is key. Thank you. <laughs> um and uh yeah, I mean kink is just is a such a large uh, range uh of 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 sexual um positions or uh, activities. It's it's just really not it's uh, very normal. I want to normalize that for folks out there. I
1: think it's important to normalize that too cuz I think it gets a little bit of a bad rap because everyone thinks it's this it's, mystical entity <laughs> of the sex world instead of just something that, you know, it can be something super simple. Oh yeah. Like just a little
0: spanking or, um, you know, a little cat <laughs> of nine tails or, you know, and it could be ta- talking dirty. I mean, it can be, it can be any, anything on that. Speaking of, you know, spectrum. I mean, it's a, it's a large spectrum. It's a, it's a large continuum of whatever feels good, um, and makes you feel close to your partner and, and brings you pleasure that's, that's all
1: good. So do you find that people that are interested in, in jumping into that world, do you see them more in a sex therapy setting or a couples therapy setting, or is it both?
0: Well, really uh, what I let folks know in the beginning is what I, I have on my website very clearly, which is that, um, couples therapy is, Longer, Typically, it's about an average of 16 sessions for couples to meet their goals, you know, give or Mm -hmm. take. Sex therapy is shorter. It's about 10 to 12 sessions because it's only one aspect of the relationship, of the significant other partner relationship. So, um, you know, the the really nice thing about sex therapy, when people are coming to, no pun intended, (laughs) when people are coming in to... um, (laughs) Oh, you know, you just can't, you just can't make this stuff up. So when when folks are are wanting to engage in sex therapy, what's lovely I often find is that it increases their ability to communicate. It always helps the if there's a communication goal, it's certainly going to help that. Um, if there isn't, they will often say it's really interesting how sex therapy has helped us be better communicators because you have to be more. I mean, if you want better sex, you just have to be more open and more direct um, and step into this idea that uh, sex isn't just for men. It's for women, too. You know, we have these old messages that sex is for men. Romance is for women. Um, people thinking about, you know, sex is dirty. Well, I really, really want to gently uh, support my clients in understanding that, that sex is healthy, Sexual health really increases optimal overall health. Um, the more in touch we are with our pleasure centers for ourselves, you know, sex for one or sex in the, in the relationship, it, it's, it's just all a really good thing. Um, in fact, uh, sec, having sex and, you know, consensual sex and, and sex with ourselves and our partners um, does great things like decreases blood pressure and um, just increases our overall state of health. Um, you know, it's just just good for us. It's physical activity, right? It's um it gets it's, the blood it's, going. It gets the blood going, exactly. It it uh creates a connection with your partner. Um it's difficult to get there for some people, depending on what their family of origin history is. See, this is where the, mm. the two start to overlap and intersect, is that people might come in for sex therapy, but we we sometimes will get into connecting back to the messages that people got uh, early on, or that we got throughout our lives, throughout our childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, other relationships, and that w- that's where it might seem like it starts to become uh, couples therapy because both people are talking about their experiences and their histories, um, checking in about traumatic experiences, uh, things like that. So um, there's not a hard line between sex therapy and couples therapy uh they can overlap and intersect. But I did uh come up with some topics that certainly fall under sex therapy and some topics that fall under couples therapy. Um and we can kind of mention those today so so folks get a, a an idea of what the the differences might be and where the similarities are as well. Um so you know with sex therapy some people really come in with a clear, a clear need to want to uh, for women find out where their clitoris is, you know, like, Hey, where's my clit? I don't really know. I can't find it. I'm not sure. Um, and so we talk about that. I'll sort of show them photographs and maps and have them do some take home exercises to explore their bodies, um, and find out what, what feels pleasurable to them. Um, what doesn't, uh, so that they can be more in charge of, of their own bodies to be able to communicate that to their partners.
1: And also, something important to just to note is that no touching actually happens in front of Donna or in Donna's office. Everything, anything physical that actually happens, they're take home exercises that you do at home.
0: Well, there's no sexual touching. I will, for example, have folks, oh, right. um, you know, if they want to try something by experimenting on their hands with each other, I have found that to be helpful uh, because as we talked about before, Einstein, what's the Einstein quote? Uh, Learning is experiential. Everything else is information, right? So right. If, if people um, uh, sort of, t- I have found, I just stumbled on this on my own, that um, if I'm giving them the, the take home exercise of sensate focus, which is a great uh, tool for people to be able to begin to focus on their own pleasure. Cause oftentimes in, in the sexual experience as a couple people are focused on their partner's pleasure and not on their own. And that actually inhibits um, uh, the pleasure experience It inhibits arousal actually. Right. So in order to be aroused uh, we need to be in touch with our own pleasure. And when we start to think about our partner, we get up into our head, right out of our bodies and now we are somewhere else. We're not, we're not in the body experience of pleasure, which includes, uh, like with sensate Focus, I have folks focusing on, excuse me, uh, temperature and texture and pressure, um, just all that lovely skin-to-skin contact stuff and slowing things down so that the blood flows and they're more relaxed and they can have a better, less tense and more pleasurable experience of their own bodies uh, in connection with their partner. So that's where I might have them kind of, uh, touch each other's hands as the, um, tool to learn how that's going to go when they take it home in private. Yeah. Good point, Vicky. Thanks. Um, no problem. so sex therapy, other, other topics that folks come in with is, um, you know, wanting to know how to have penetrative sex. You know, they may not have actually, they may have be together or they may have gotten married and they may never have had penetrative sex. So that's, you know, penis and vagina. Right. Um, and so we can uh, I help them with that, just sort of navigating the body and figuring out how to do that, understanding that, you know, there needs to be enough play or foreplay so that, you know, if it's a heterosexual couple um, and even in a same sex couple, you know, women have to be uh, relaxed enough and and uh, excited enough and um, lubricated enough where the, the experience can be pleasurable and not not painful um right so penetrative sex is a is a topic and uh, all the other topics you know we've talked about before in our podcast like uh premature ejaculation um uh, erectile dysfunction delayed ejaculation um for men uh other topics um oh and and well before i glide by that again uh these are Areas where I want to make sure people have gone to see their doctors and they've had all medical problems ruled out, like any testosterone issues, high blood pressure, which, again, you know, if the blood isn't flowing, it's going to be difficult to get an erection because that right. that's the whole idea behind, you know, Viagra and these medications is that they create blood flow, but that doesn't get to the root of the problem. In terms of any erectile dysfunction, Um, the the root of the problem really is let's let's figure out what's going on with with someone's health, um, why they may not be able to get an erection, because really the and for the boys in the back, if you're listening, guys, (laughs) or any guys out there, you know how you tell um, the status of a man's health is can he get an erection? This was one of my number one lessons or first lessons in sex therapy school. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, um, so that's all really important stuff that we talk about in sex therapy. Uh, other topics that come up quite often are, uh, low desire, the low desire, high desire, discrepancy in a coupling. Um, and I want folks to really be, see, this is where the couples therapy stuff might feel like it overlaps, which is where if someone's experiencing low desire, um again, this may be connected to messages they got early on about why about sex being and be sorry about any sex negative messages if you know what i mean mm-hmm. um uh and and we wanna to kind of deconstruct that and start to reconstruct sex positive messages right that sex is healthy and and all that stuff um other topics that come up are sex addiction um and, you know, I'll be quite clear that my position as a sex therapist is there actually uh, is no such thing as a addic- sex addiction. Interesting. So what I mean by that is is that um, if we know that sex is healthy or we begin to know that sex is healthy, it's a healthy operation, a healthy function, part of optimal health is good sexual health, then really we're looking at. Any sexual behavior, um, like any other behavior, meaning that if you're engaging in a behavior where it's affecting you in any of the three domains in life, work slash school, um, home or the community, if, if you're being impaired because of some choice that you're making around any behavior, um, Mm. then maybe that's something that, you know, needs treating, so to speak. So uh let's say I can't uh get up and go to work. Um that's problematic, right? right. I'm probably gonna lose my job. So um meaning that, that that's that's not necessarily um hmm, let me just think of a, a better metaphor here. Um you know, it's kind of like maybe shopping, right? If I have a shopping addiction. I mean, is it an addiction? I mean, maybe it really. What's happening is I might just be shopping too much or spending too much, right. so that it's affecting my finances. It's, it might be affecting my family, um, and I think when we throw layer the word addiction on it, it becomes. A little bit problematic in that it's a kind of a negative way of speaking about it versus I want to help people to become more productive and functional. So we find out where the behavior might be impacting the relationship. For example, if someone is watching a lot of porn or masturbating a lot, um, self-touching a lot, and they're not having sex with their partner ever or rarely that's going to affect the relationship so i want to help folks uh, sort of shift what they're doing the choices that they're making for the best for the relationship if that makes sense which is not that they never self-touch or never master but but maybe they're just the, the goal would be to have more partner sex than solo sex if they want to maintain even, the relationship
1: or even get to the root of why Right. Maybe why they prefer that. Maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe it's a self-confidence thing or, or whatever, just kind of getting to the root of, you know, why that is their preferred. Why is why that's they, why they prefer that, you know?
0: Yeah. And oftentimes really it's and I'm, I'm really generalizing here. So forgive me, Vicky and audience, but, you know, oftentimes it's it, it is uh, just habits that we make. Um, you know, it's easier to have sex with oneself. Um, You Mm -hmm. know, it's easier to have an orgasm. It's easier to have less tension. Anxiety is not another human being in the room. As soon as another human shows up, right, then there's naturally an increase in anxiety or tension. Um, And so I'll hear oftentimes that, you know, folks have been masturbating to porn um, for quite some time Uh, and and nothing wrong with that. Um, But it can impact the relationship in that if that's what you're used to, you know, you're sort of. The stimuli is being paired and then, you know, it's it's affecting the relationship in that you want to be able to that partner wants to be able to have satisfying and pleasurable sex with their partner, not just with porn. Right. Right. And porn can set up an unrealistic expectation about, uh, you know, bodies and shapes and uh, what sex is. And it's unrealistic because it's it's a fantasy. It's entertainment. It's entertainment, <laughs> right? Exactly, and entertainment yeah. is often not not real life.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's not real life.
0: Yeah, so so pornography. That's another thing that we talk about uh, in sex therapy: the use of it, um, whether it's being used too much or maybe not enough. Um, uh, gender identity comes under, you know, the the heading of sex therapy. Sexual identity. Um, Power and sex, advantages and disadvantages of, uh, you know, this is where it tends to get a little bit um, sort of worldview stuff and hierarchical stuff where we look at, you know, uh, male, female relationships, uh, folks of color, um, you know, where, where, again, advantage lies or disadvantage lies and trying to, especially in a relationship, you know, equal out that, you know, sort of get rid of the hierarchy and couples start to see each other as their equal. And that that can I mean, that can that's part of sex therapy. That's also part of couples therapy as well. Right. So that's an overlap. Um, You know, shame, sexual shame, uh, finding where that shame is rooted. That's affecting sex between partners. Um, And again, like we mentioned before, sex negative thinking versus sex positive thinking. Um, and finding out where those messages come from and normalizing a lot of that. So people understand, you know, they're not alone if they've
1: grown up in sex
0: negative environments. I mean, this is
1: so widespread, right? Well, it's also breaking the cycle. So, you know, if you grew up in a sex negative environment or sex is always framed in a way that it was something dirty, and if you're, you know, good girls don't, like all of those conversations that we've had, and then you then have children, if you break your own cycle, then you won't, you know, put your children through the same cycle to hopefully give them a better view of the reality of what sex is.
0: Mm. Yes, that's right. And I was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking about, um, I was very lucky, I think to, well, I know I was lucky, but I I was lucky, I think to grow up, you know, I'm sometimes on the fence about this. I think I got sex negative messages growing up, but I think I got, I think I got a fair of, um, amount of sex positive messages. Um, and so that's where I feel like I'm lucky. Um, you know, I grew up in a family where there was lots of art and music and theater and and pleasure and all that stuff. But, you know, (laughs) I also grew up, uh, in, in the sixties and seventies. So, um, there were lots of sex negative messages as well. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking about yesterday, how important it is. And we've talked about this, uh, father's roles are, um, in, Having good, strong relationships with their daughters, as well as their sons, obviously, but Mm -hmm. um, sort of being involved with their daughter's sexual development, meaning from the time she begins to have her period throughout dating and being attracted to men, women, um, you know, and then going off and you know, sort of navigating the world of what that's like to be in relationships, et cetera. It's very important for dads to be strong and open uh, and direct and caring and tender and all of that so that she learns to be accepted for who she is becoming from a child to an adolescent to a woman. Mm. You know, and, and the more open, I think, like, for example, this is probably, a, a you know, as embarrassing as it was. Uh, when my mother walked into the room, I'm just gonna say it, <laughs> and she turned to my dad and said, "Darling, today our daughter is a woman." <laughs> I was like mortified under the couch, so humiliated. But but I, you know, but then my dad would go out and buy my you know sanitary napkins and tampons, and you know we could kind of talk about that stuff in our house, and I think that was very right. helpful to being a little bit more open, and I of course haven't really realized it or thought about it in that way but i think i was lucky in that way so i encourage fathers and this is written about a lot in the literature um about how when fathers have close relationships with their daughters in this way you know appropriately of course um but when they're really encouraging their daughters to to um you know be open and communicate about what's going on with them and their, their sexual development. That's important. And of course, you know, mothers, I think this comes more naturally for moms. So it's a little more difficult for dads, but I might have sessions with families where I am encouraging that kind of communication.
1: I'm seeing a lot more on social media too. I know I've, I had always seen, um, you always see, a lot of things about the relationship between a dad and their son or a mother and their daughter, you know, things that are, you know, similar there. And then you also see a lot of things about being a boy mom, right? What being a boy mom means and things like that. But I'm seeing more and more about being a girl dad, which I thought was really cool. And I'm seeing more about, you know, this is the best part about being a more dads really being open about this is what it's like to have a daughter. And this is what I'm trying to teach my daughter. And instead of just focusing on, you know, the, the negative aspects of what some people bring to the table when it comes to those discussions, you know, being more positive, like, no, I want my daughter. I'm going to take my daughter out on a daddy daughter date so that my daughter knows, you know, when you go on your first date, this is how you should be treated, or this is how this should happen. You know, things like things like that to just, yes, very just nice, simple setting the foundation for them to know, you know, your self-worth and things like that. So,
0: oh, that's, yeah, that's good to head. hear that. That's, that that's out there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Good, good. Um, so let's see. Oh yeah. Uh, sex therapy, exploring expectations regarding sex. You know, we, we have expectations, uh, of our partner of ourselves. Again, it goes back to some of those messages. Like sometimes for women, what I see is they're thinking that sex is for their husband Um, not really for them. So I want to help women step into their own pleasure about sex. Um, and let's see, lack of pleasure in sex with self or partner. And yeah, really finding out where, where is the pleasure? Um, uh, I've mentioned before smitten kitten online. We love smitten kitten. (laughs) We love smitten kitten. They have great, um, you know, vibrators and sex toys made of really safe, wonderful materials, hundred percent silicone. Um, and so, I want folks to be, you know, incorporating. Uh, and again, maybe it falls under the heading of kink for some folks, but incorporating. You know, buy yourself a wonderful vibrator. I, I my client who <laughs> did so well in therapy, who said, you know, it's the best twenty-seven bucks I ever spent in my life. This fabulous <laughs> vibrator. You know, she came in with very low desire and ended up with very high desire because she just Loved the way she was doing her sex in a new way. Yeah. Exploring, you know, things outside of what she expected sex was to be. Opening up, you know, your mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, polyamory, that's another thing people talk about in sex therapy. Um, that, that topic comes up, um, you know, having uh, multiple partners and how to make that work. Uh, again, consent is key. That's something that requires great openness and trust. You know, it can't work if that doesn't get built. So that's something that that is a, a sex therapy topic. Um, and then other sex therapy, another sex ther- well, other sex therapy topics. Sorry, include um, you know when when partners uh, begin to experience illness uh, or disability, um, aging and sex. Uh, you know, those are all in addition. Uh, I want to normalize for people that just because you're getting older doesn't mean you have low desire. Let's dispel mm-hmm. that myth. You know, that's just a myth. Um, as long as we are to Betty Dodson's point, eating well, you know, being active, you know, we can maintain our health and again, part of our health is sexual health. Um, and when that changes for people, let's say men, uh, begin to develop prostate cancer and, um, uh, perhaps have to have the, the prostate removed or they're having treatment, um, there are lots of ways to be talking about how they can still have pleasure uh, and pleasure their partners and all of that stuff. So it's a really rich area to be talking about sexuality as a really good thing. Um, for women, too, you know, there are things like. Uh, oh, changes that go on with the vagina, um, you know, at- atrophic uh, vagina, or there are, you know, again, uh issues having to do with illness, uh, or disability where, you know, it's interesting. I've seen couples come in where let's say she has had, let's say it's a heterosexual couple and she has had irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, uh-huh. or, um, you know, something to do with, uh, uh colitis. And when the, and now, now we're going to step into the couples therapy realm for a second, but when folks do couples therapy, um, and their communication gets better, what I find is that when her stress level decreases, oftentimes her illness remits. For example, like an IBS or a colitis, meaning that a lot mm. of times these um, disorders are triggered by stress. So when partners stop withdrawing and they begin to be more open, have more empathy, understanding, when you can start to see you know, your partner as as good and on your side and you begin to act like your partner is sort of on your side and you're a team again stress lowers and people start to feel better physically
1: stress does a number on so many different things throughout the body it's insane
0: yeah it sure does it sure does yeah so that's that's um that's just, you know, some of the stuff. It, it's it's quite a bit of the stuff, but there's more, I'm sure. This is just sort of the things that I came up with um, for today. Now, uh, couples therapy, oftentimes when couples are coming in and they want not just sex therapy, but but couples therapy. I mean, sometimes people don't, you know, sometimes their sex is great. It's the communication that's the problem. Um so that's interesting because they're able to communicate well when it comes to sex, right? or it just it just happens to go well. <laughs> um, but sometimes their communication can can uh, use some greater development. So uh, they come in wanting help with ways of communicating better, increasing trust. Uh, people will come to couples therapy and we'll talk about. Uh, they may not know this is an issue, but we may realize that they have uh, differences around money and how they value money, Uh, division of labor and how they value labor in the home, outside the home, etc. Problems having to do with parenting, you know, one, one parent's one way, one parent's another way. And so how do we uh, draw that closer together in terms of their styles or, or how, or maybe they, they'll have different styles as long as they're, they're sort of on the same team and they know how to make their styles work together. They, they navigate it together, um, in a more productive way that can be very, very helpful. Um, problems regarding in-laws and family members that comes up a lot in couples therapy. Uh you know, one partner may be, Having difficulty with their spouse or partner's family members, um, or the 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 one partner's own family may be causing issues, and they want to figure out how to navigate that and address that. Um, that comes up a lot too. Uh, the impact of alcohol and drug use on relationship uh-huh. that's that can be a pretty serious area that can be helped in couples therapy. Um, infidelity is, is one that comes up quite often, quite, quite commonly. Um, loss, you know, couples come in when they've had losses, um, w- whether it's fidelity or they might've experienced, um, uh, loss of family members, a parent death, uh, the death of a child, you know, all that stuff. Um, understanding the brain and learning about the amygdala is very helpful in couples therapy. So when we get reactive, right, this idea that we, uh, in relationship tend to either attack or we withdraw understanding. We did a podcast right on um, de-shaming relationship behavior and really looking at the brain. Uh, Mona Fishbane's book is so good about that, the amygdala, um, how we're on high alert and the alarm bells go off. So if we can just pause, zip the lip, take a breath, know that your partner's on your team, right? Not, not working against you. They're not the enemy. Uh, There's a lot of work that can be done around that.
1: And that can be so hard too. Like when you're in the moment and something like you have a reaction that you want to have to to have the what's the word I'm looking for? To have the whatever to pause. The instinct, the the insight, to have the insight to pause and just say wait a minute and just take a second. That can be so That can be really hard. Well, and that's why, you
0: know, I, we really, I think it's helpful to look at making a commitment to therapy because really it's about changing old habits, right? right? So the old, what was working before, uh, works as long as it works until couples decide this isn't working anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We accept, accept, accept this is a David Schnark idea. We keep accepting, uh, what we can tolerate, until we say, I don't want to do it like this anymore. And this is where, you know, couples start talking about the separation word or the divorce word. And again, this is so common and so normal. You know, couples think, oh, we're on the precipice or we're on the verge of breaking up and here's our one last try. Well, yeah. Okay. But what they need now is to be learning new habits and that takes some time. So hence the 12, 10, 12, 16, 20 sessions, whatever it is to start making new habits. Because it's really often a matter of just old habits that aren't so effective or productive.
1: And that's normal, right? So for something to just because something doesn't work anymore, it doesn't mean the entire thing is broken. It just means maybe you need a new tactic because it that worked for whatever reason. And now it's not working. Maybe you had kids in the house, right? And you have all these kids. So that worked now that you have no kids in the house, you need to find your new normal <laughs> now that you don't have kids in the house, you yeah. know, things oh, like yeah. that. That And actually that comes up for couples
0: a lot, sort of how do we reinvent ourselves, our relationship? Yeah, the law, lo- right. And that's a loss too, right? So we were, you know, the, the children were in the home and now we've launched them. And now we're sort of post launch, uh, empty nesters. And how do we navigate through that? Also, I've had couples come in who are navigating through the world of retirement. So the loss of jobs, the loss of their identity, who, the, who they were when they were working. Um, yeah, all that. And your point, Vicki, I don't want to forget this, uh, is, is really good. I often will hear couples coming in saying that they no longer feel in love. And so um, I really want to normalize that for folks out there. If you're listening and you never go to couples therapy, Just hear this (laughs) in love is hormone driven. So that can only last for the first, oh, you know, year, year and a half, two years, right? Um, Hopefully you're making the choice to stay with your partner. If you have enough in common, if you see the world enough, the same way, you enjoy the same things, you get pleasure uh, from each other. Uh, To Ruth Westheimer's point about the most important six inches, right? Between the ears, you know, if you... If you like your partner, if you feel you've picked well, that you could see yourself with this person at 70 or 80, um, this is really important. Don't The, the expectation of maintaining this in-love feeling, butterflies in the tummy, throughout your life together, not happening. Not happening. Not that it doesn't mean that you can't have something wonderful and different and new and just as lovely. You know, there's a richness of being together over time and sharing experiences that create something new, but something maybe we didn't expect because we, you know, nobody talks about this stuff really.
1: Because people don't want to, you know, it's like, I feel like this goes back to social media as well, where everyone's always showing their A side, like, look at this wonderful thing. I'm so in love. I'm so this. And sometimes the most wonderful moments in a relationship are when you're both laughing on the couch over something silly or, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sure.
0: Oh, absolutely. You're right. Um, and then let's see what else. Oh, sometimes I work with couples when they are beginning to work together, meaning they have a business together. That's a really interesting area. That's
1: a whole other level of stress that can be added.
0: Oh, you bet. Yeah. But there there are really uh, very strategic ways of going at that, which is very helpful for couples. Um, and so that's that's always fun. Um, so, um, you know, again, really, whether it's sex therapy or couples therapy, the concepts are very similar in that we want to learn how to sort of develop ourselves, um, and the relationship, uh, so that the system of the relationship is more productive rather than counterproductive. There are choices that we make habits we get into that are often counterproductive and we don't know it um, that are often destructive and we don't know it. So coming to, um, couples therapy and sex therapy is kind of like, you know, getting the hiring the guide with the flashlight rather than (laughs) poking around the path in the dark on your own. Right. Um, so this is just good. Go Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I don't even know what I was going to say. What were you going to say?
1: No, and I think it's good to just no matter what, if you think you need help or you think you need an outside person to help facilitate something within your relationship, just reach out, and then uh, you know somebody like Donna can help you work through if it's couples therapy or sex therapy or maybe a little bit of both. Or, and I think the hardest part is is that initial step of reaching out. Sometimes, for sure.
0: And you know, I will say I did this work myself in my own relationship. And that's why I fell in love with it because it works. So I want folks to know that too. All right. Well, I think, uh, I think we've hit on everything. I didn't mention erotic fantasy. I will talk about that a little bit when it comes to sex therapy, that can also be an area developing that, uh, part of ourselves too. So that's just, just an aside, but there's probably a million, a million other ideas, um, that I, would have about you know again what what to what there is to be explored in sex therapy versus couples therapy so i think we hit on on quite a few and thanks vicky for engaging in this really kind of uh out conversation anytime um so thanks again everyone for joining us remember that you can find me at um Facebook. If you go on Facebook, you can find me at the Sex and Couples Therapist. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at the Happy Ending Therapist. The phone number here at the office is 508-990-9909. My beautiful website is www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. And thank you, Vicki, very much. And thanks, guys, in the back for meeting up today and having this lovely, frank conversation. And don't forget, folks, always make time for pleasure, play, and passion. See you next time.